You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Everybody at, the, uh, at this campus here, Fenwick Island, Sam and Lucy are here in the auditorium for the first time since January. They have enough volunteers that they get to hang out, and they said, hey, it's like being on a date coming to church today, so... Anyhow, hey, listen, we, we appreciate you guys and uh, want to say hello to the Millsburg campus right now and welcome them. And also, uh, we're so grateful for our Rehoboth campus and our online campus, and we're just so grateful for what the Lord's doing at Bayshore. We're in a study where we're looking at 1 Corinthians, and one of the things that I love to do is I really, really love to settle down and look at the Bible and study the Bible and see what's going on in the Scriptures. And the reason I like to do this, kind of go through sections of Scripture, is it makes me talk about stuff I don't want to talk about. And there are certain things when you like go through chapter after chapter, you know, you would duck if you uh, didn't come to that in a chapter where you're teaching through it. So anyhow, we're looking at some great stuff. We call this uh, series Crazy Church People because the Church of Corinth had all kinds of issues, they had problems, and so therefore we call it Crazy church people. So today, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 11, and uh, everybody at Millsboro and everybody here, we're going to read it together, and uh, let me just read it to you, and then we'll dive in. This is a very, very pertinent issue. Uh, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is not, no, not anyone among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we have another issue. This church, real people, uh, you know, they had problems in their marriages, they had problems with sex, and they had problems here that there were people in the church that were literally going to court against each other. They were suing each other. So these are real, real people. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, last year there were 40 million lawsuits in America, 40 million lawsuits in America. And uh, there were about 1 million registered lawyers in America. And somebody, one of my friends from uh, Bible college says, America is a, is, a, is a land of sewers. We're constantly suing each other. So in the church here, 
we have, a, we have a lawsuit going on. And uh, it's interesting because in those days, if you had a lawsuit, it wasn't like you went to a courtroom and you were in the secluded building, but rather court was held right out in the marketplace. So, uh, you know, if, if John is suing Steve, uh, you know, they wouldn't go into a building and go through the little check area. They would be out in the marketplace and people would be walking by watching the lawsuit go on and the argument, and so they could see it. And it was a form of entertainment. We see this in Acts chapter 17, where Paul was, uh, you know, he was at the, uh, Mars Hill and Areopagus, the court of Areopagus in Athens. And so it's right out in the open. So that's one of the things that was the issue, is that, you know, people walking by said, well, isn't that Bob? Isn't that Steve from the church? And they're out there going at it. Uh, in legal proceedings. So that's part of the issue. Now, whenever you come to this text, uh, the thing that I think everybody's thinking about uh, is this. Is it ever appropriate to have a lawsuit or to sue anyone? Uh, I think when in the Christian community, people are always thinking, is there ever a way, is there ever a time when having a lawsuit is appropriate? And I thought about that a lot because, uh, and as I looked at this, I, I was thinking about, you know, what, what is this exactly? Let's think, first of all, what is going on here? What is going on here are two Christians, two Christians suing each other, two Christians. So it's not a Christian suing a, an organization. It's not a Christian suing an unbeliever. It's two brothers in the faith suing each other. And so that's part of it. Now, here's, here's what this one guy says, Craig Bloomberg, real smart guy. He said about this text about can Christians ever sue each other. He said, at the outset, at the outs, at, at the outset it is crucial to observe both the contextual limitations and the lack of limitations that appear in this passage. On the one hand, nothing arises explicitly to solve questions about whether or not Christians may sue non-Christians or sector institutions such as corporations or the government. Verses 6 or through 8, however, surely imply broader principles that may be brought to bear, particularly with respect to the potential discredit lawsuits may bring to Christianity in the eyes of unbelievers. So does that clear it up for everybody? Is everybody clear now after hearing that? So I don't think that really clears anything out. I think what he's saying is, is this text really doesn't show us if lawsuits are ever, uh, can ever happen. So that type of thing. Now, so I was thinking about that. Here's what I think is important. I think sometimes, you know, if you, if you have a, a faulty car and it's got a bad steering mechanism and you have a wreck and you run into a, a, a pole and you're injured and you can't work anymore and you've got big medical bills, perhaps the system is there to protect you in those type of situations. But uh, here's what I would say about this. If there's ever a lawsuit uh, that, you, that you deal with. And I, if I asked you to raise your hands right now, how many have ever been in, in a legal uh, dispute with anybody? Some of you would raise your hands, and some of you may be going through that right now. Here's what I would say the governing principle is for me when it comes to this. Uh, here's what the governing principle is. The governing principle is this. Um, lawsuits or any legal actions action should never be motivated by revenge or bitterness. Lawsuits or legal proceedings should never be motivated by revenge or bitterness. Say that with me. Lawsuits or legal measures should never be motivated by revenge or bitterness. 
And I think if you are in the situation where you would possibly sue another believer, this text really gives you a hard time. Because this text says, first of all, we should not be suing each other as brothers and sisters because we have an obligation to how we appear to people in, uh, in the world. So that's, that's what, uh, what, the text, what I learned from the text. Now let me just talk to you a few things about this. I think Paul, as he goes through this, is trying to remind them of some things that are important. And these are things that are important for us. Some things that are important for us. He's trying to remind them. Sometimes we forget things we should remember. How many have ever gone to the grocery store and you, and you come home with 14 things and you forget the one thing you went to get? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you know, you forget the one thing. And as you get older, you forget a lot of things. You know, you forget things and you kind of, and all of that. But I think Paul's trying to remind them of some important things. And here's the first thing he's trying to remind them of. He's trying to remind them, first of all, that we are family. We are family. Uh, how many know the church is a family? We, we belong in a spiritual family. The church is not, and Bayshore is not, a consumer organization where we have religious products where you come and take things off a shelf and say, well, we like this, we like that, and all that. And, and the church is more than that. The church is a spiritual family, and we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and that we have a connection that is spiritual, and we are a spiritual family. Bayshore is a spiritual family. Sometimes I had a, a lady a few weeks ago at church, and uh, her and her husband were new, and, and they were standing in the parking lot, and I was talking to them, and uh, they were asking, they had like a clipboard. And they were asking us, do we have this and do we have that? And does Bayshore do this? And I was just going, they were just, and I was trying to ask, you know, answer all the questions. And, and we're very passionate about children's ministry. We're very passionate about small groups. We're very passionate about a lot of things. And some of the things that we're asking about, we're very passionate about. But it occurred to me after a while that their list was pretty long. And I finally said, I said to them honestly, in love, I said, I don't think we'll ever be able to check all the boxes that you want us to check. And they, they looked at us as a, as a commodity giving them something. Bayshore is not that. Bayshore is not a, we are not a consumer-based organization. We're an organization where people are called here to serve the community. They're called here to love each other and serve each other. We're a spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters. We're not an organization that provides goods and services, religious goods and services to people. We are a spiritual family. And if God has called you to Bayshore, you need to put your roots down here. You need to bury your bones here. You need to serve. You need to love each other because we're a spiritual family. Can you say a big Amen. Amen. This church, particularly this campus, this campus, it's all over this campus. I feel it when I come here. There's a, there's a spirit of a, a spiritual family here. There's a connection here that's very fresh and very wonderful that the Holy Spirit is emerging. And it says in the book of uh, Acts, Acts chapter uh, 2, I think, it says the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the saints, and they... they took care of each other, they sold their goods, they, they cared for each other, and they were a spiritual family. And it says they were a fellowship. You know what the word fellowship, everybody say the word fellowship, say fellowship. Fellowship is a word, it's, in the Greek it's koinea, koinea, and it means common, to have in common, to have in common. And a lot of us have different, we have different educational backgrounds, we're different ages. Some of us are, uh, how many here in this auditorium, you're under 40? Just raise your hand if you're under 40. Raise your hand up real high. And how many here are uh, between 40 and 50? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay. And how many 
you are, you're like, uh, you're like 50, you're, you're 60 and up, just raise, if you're able, raise your hand, 60 and up. Okay, so we got, we got all of this, we got all this thing mixed together, all these people, we have all these things that are different about us, different likes and different uh, desires and different education, and different backgrounds, and, uh, and Bayshore is about we have this one thing in common. We all have met Jesus. Jesus has changed our life. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. He's cleansed us of all of our unrighteousness, and he's made us right in his sight, and we are a family because we have that in common. Can you say a big amen? I was down in uh, Destin, Florida. Karen and I were, uh, took a little break in the winter, and we were like, it was just down there for a week uh, in Destin, Florida. I think it was early March or late February. And we're standing in line one day to go to a uh, sandwich shop and, uh, right on the beach there. And there was this uh, guy standing next to me, him and his wife, and they were really nice. And they were from Alabama. I think he was a lawyer, really smart guy. And we were talking. And he asked me where I'm from. And I was toward uh, the front of the line there. And he said, Well, I'm from Delaware. And the guy in the deli was there, uh, the guy running the deli, an older guy, uh, he said, you're from Delaware. He said, uh, where in Delaware? And I said, well, I'm in uh, Millsboro. He said, well, that's not, far from, that's not far from Georgetown. That's not far from Selbyville. That's not far from Rehoboth. And he had been from Delaware. He lived in Bear, Delaware, knew all about Delaware and all that. And he said to me, by the way, why are they tearing down that Dolly's popcorn sign in Rehoboth? So here I am in Destin, Florida, and this guy, we had this connection because he was from Delaware, and he wanted to know, why in the world are they tearing that Dolly's Popcorn sign down? And I want to know that myself. Can you say a big amen? <laughs> Leave that thing up there. But we had that in common. Say this with me. What we have in common is we all belong to Jesus, and we're family. Paul said, he uses the language in the text how could you take a brother to court? He's using family vernacular. He's talking about family. So we are family. The second thing uh, Paul wants to remind them of is he wants to remind them that, um, that when you become a Christian, Christianity is not about your rights. It's not about defending your rights. It's about laying down your rights. It's not about defending your rights. Christianity is not about my rights. We live in a country where everything is about my rights. Everything is about you know, what I'm entitled to and my rights and what I'm supposed to have. And we live in that paradigm. But the kingdom of God is not that paradigm. The kingdom of God is not about what is coming to me. The kingdom not is about you know, kneeling down and washing the feet of your disciples like Jesus modeled for us. The kingdom of God is about not defending what you should have, but it's about giving up yourself for other people. That's the spirit of the kingdom of God. And that's what he said in the text. He said, well, why don't you just rather be wronged? It's better to be wronged and cheated than to defend your rights in front of unbelievers. So the kingdom of God is not about what is coming to me. The kingdom of God is about laying down my rights. The best passage in the whole Bible about this is in Genesis 13, where Abraham has all these flocks. He's been to Egypt, and his nephew Lot has all these flocks. And it says their herdsmen, the herdsmen were fighting over pasture land. And what did Abraham say? 
You've got to go back and read this today, Genesis 13. He said, we should not be fighting because we are brothers. We should not be fighting because we're brothers. We are family. And here's what Abraham says. Abraham says to Lot, Lot, whatever you want. If you want to go that way, you go that way. If you want to go to the, to the west, you go that way. If you want to go to the north, you go to the north. If you want to go to the south, you go to the south. Whatever you want, you, I give you, I defer to you. And it says that Lot chose for himself the best land, the Jordan Valley. And then after, the Bible says, after uh, Abraham, uh, after Lot left Abraham, the Lord came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, look around. Everything you see, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to bless you. We are so busy defending our rights that we don't give God a chance to defend us. We're so busy trying to make sure that we get our rights that we don't give God a chance to move in our behalf. So the kingdom of God, Paul's reminding them, the kingdom of God is not about demanding your rights. And so if you're in court in 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 the marketplace, taking your brother to court, you're demanding your rights, and that's the antithesis of the kingdom of God. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about laying down your rights. Karen and I went to dinner uh, last week after church. We usually go to, out to eat after church on Sunday. We don't feel like fixing anything or cleaning anything up. So we used to go out to dinner somewhere. And so we went to this restaurant. Uh, and it was a nice little restaurant on a little canal. And uh, we're sitting there looking at the menu. And I'm looking at the menu and looking at stuff. And, I, you know, I tell Karen takes a while to order things. So I like tell her, you know, when we walk in, look around, see what people's having. So you can kind of jump start this thing a little bit. And she always asks the question to the uh, waiter, what's your favorite dish? You know, she always asks that. And so I'm like trying to speed this along. But I'm looking through the menu there. And I see, uh, I see meatloaf and garlic mashed potatoes and uh, Brussels sprouts. And I got, I got a hankering. I got a hankering. How many know what a hankering is? I got a hankering for some meatloaf. And now, how many have hardly ever had any hankering for meatloaf? That's not you. I had a hankering for some meatloaf. I'm looking at that. And I said to the lady, I said, this looks good. Is this, is this meatloaf good? And she said, it's the best meatloaf you'll ever have. It's amazing meatloaf. you got to have this meatloaf. I said, bring it on. I want the meatloaf. She said, you know what? I'm not sure if they had that because we may have sold out of that last night. So she went in the kitchen, and she's gone like seven, eight, ten minutes. She's waiting. We're waiting for her to come back. And you know about Karen? I said, keep looking, keep looking. And I'm waiting for her to, for this waitress to get back. Finally, she came back. She said, we got it. Got meatloaf. I said, put me down for the meatloaf. She took Karen's order and she went and we're sitting there drinking, drinking our drinks and uh, water. We were having water and uh, we were drinking and having, we were drinking water. And uh, anyhow, we were drinking water. I want you to know that. Uh, we may want to drink other things, but we were drinking water. That's what we were drinking. But anyhow, we're waiting and finally she comes with our plates. And when she comes with our plates, she sets down Karen's dish and she sets down my dish. And she sets down lasagna. It's lasagna. <laughs> it's lasagna and salad. And I'm like, um, is like maybe their meatloaf is under there? Maybe it's like to have their brisanka. I'm like, is, I said, is the meatloaf under there? She's, oh, no, I forgot. You wanted meatloaf. Well, I never mentioned lasagna. I never said lasagna. There's nothing in our conversation about lasagna. Karen didn't talk about lasagna, but she brought me lasagna. So anyhow... I had lasagna for lunch. That's what I had. And it was really good and it was cheaper. You know, I could have like made a fit about that. You know, 
I told you meatloaf. I told you you went in there. I could have made a big deal over it. But you know, sometimes in America, we're so entitled. We want everything our way all the time. And how many know that stuff happens in life? Sometimes you want meatloaf and sometimes you get lasagna. Can you say a big amen? <laughs> you heard about the little, uh, little bird flying, you know, south for the winter he's flying south and it's so cold he got a late start and he's flying south and it's there's there's uh, uh there's there's uh, ice on his wings and finally he can't take it anymore he's freezing it up and he just lands in a barnyard he's down there he's shivering he can barely move and a big old cow walks over him and the cow just plops a big thing of manure right on top of that little frozen bird and that bird He's like, you believe it? I'm freezing to death, and now a, cap, a cow drops manure on me. And then, you know, he, he said it in a different way, but anyhow, that's what the bird said. And, and all of a sudden, after a while, the bird realized, wait a minute, this manure is warm. I'm thawing out. He's just, he started, and he couldn't believe it. He was so happy. He began to sing. He's just singing and just singing away. And then a cat walks by, and the cat hears the manure singing, and he starts digging in there, and he sees the bird, and he eats the, eats the bird. The cat eats the bird. So I wanted to share that story with you. But anyhow, <laughs> the moral of that story is sometimes you get a plop of crap on you, and you need to keep your mouth shut. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't plan to say it exactly like that, but, but you know, the kingdom of God is about giving up your rights. And we have, we have in, in the midst of a world that's gone insane about rights, that every little group wants their rights, the church needs to be a group of people in the midst of culture that is not obsessed with their rights, but obsessed with serving and helping other people and laying down their rights. Amen. Well, Paul reminded them, your family, reminded them that they were to give up their rights. He reminded them of their dynamic future. And this is the really perplexing part in the, in the, in the story. Paul said, you know, you're taking people to court, and don't you know that one day you will judge angels? that you'll judge the world. And he reminded them of the dynamic future that the church has. Why would the church stoop to go before Judge Judy in front of everybody when they had been ordained by God in their future that they will judge angels and they will judge the nations? Now, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures. If you want all the scriptures, there's a lot in the New Testament that indicates that one day our future... We will reign and rule with Christ, and the nations will come to us as we reign with Christ, and we'll judge the nations, and that we'll judge angels. Now, there's just dispute among scholars. We're talking about bad angels that fall, fallen, or good angels. But if, here's just a little reminder, and I could go through all the scriptures. I'm not going to go on this very long, but we could, we could uh, look at, uh, if you go into the book of Revelation, and you, Revelations let you see into heaven. And when you get into chapter 4 of Revelation and you see the Lord, how many thrones are there? How many thrones are there? If you say there's just one throne with the Lord on it, you, you're not reading it carefully. It says that there's a throne of the Lord and there's 24 elders' thrones beside the Lord. 
So you say, what do those 24 elders mean? I think it's a symbolic picture that the saints one day will rule with Christ and reign with him. So Paul is saying, that's pretty strange, pretty weird that you would go to a little secular pagan court to make a case about somebody putting the fence on somebody else's property or not paying a bill correctly, and you don't have anybody in the church can sell that. Isn't that really ironic that you're doing that, that one day you, Corinthians, one day you will be elevated with Christ and you'll rule over the universe with the Lord and you'll be seated beside him on the throne and you will reign with him. And so it's a little ironic that you're doing that. So that's another argument, what he says, he reminded them of that. And then he gets into the most complicated part of the passage and the most difficult part, and it's, that's in chapter, uh, chapter 6, of course, verse 9. And he lists in, uh, in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, uh, a list of sins, a list of sins. And this is what they, scholars call a vice list, vices. Now, I want to read this again because it's the most alarming part of the text. And it says, uh, Paul says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what's he saying there? Is he saying it's ridiculous that you're going to the wicked unbelievers for court justice when they won't even inherit the kingdom of God? Or maybe he's saying, if you keep doing this, you're going to end up in this category yourself. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you're washed. So when I read that, that verse makes me shudder. Because it says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Four things I want to say about that part of the text. First thing is, there's no hierarchy of sin in, this, in these verses. There's no hierarchy of sins in these verses. In other words, there's not some sins on this list that are more important than other sins. There's not, he doesn't say, here's the worst sins, and here's the not-so-worst sins. All of these sins are equally abhorrent to the Lord. So there's not a, a, there's not a graduated list here. And that's particularly helpful to us because we have the, uh, the issue of gay issues in this verse and, uh, and what Paul is saying. He's not saying, in fact, Paul mentions two heterosexual sins before he mentions a gay sin. So all of these sins, there's no hierarchy of sins in this. So there's not like, this is worse and this sin is sin, is sin, is sin. How about that? Sin is sin, is sin, is sin. So the first thing, say it with me. There is no hierarchy of worse sins in this list. That's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I would say is all these sins are serious. All these sins are serious. And the reason I say that is those who do these things, now we're talking about, we're not talking about a slip, we're not talking about a mess up, we're not talking about a stumble, we're not talking about, oh, I can't believe I did that, and you go back to the Lord, Lord, forgive me uh, of this sin. It's not that, it's talking about people that have resigned themselves to live this way. They've resigned themselves to live in an ungodly way. And it says the people that do these things will not 
inherit the kingdom of God. So I have to shudder when I read these verses because these verses mean something. I was talking to somebody yesterday that they said their, their, their daughter is second year in college and she's sort of taken the kind of a, she, what she called the Oprah Winfrey approach to life that nothing is really wrong and everything's okay and there is a God but he's a spirit of love up there and that kind of thing. And she was just grieving that her granddaughter had, had adhered to that type of philosophy. But this, these sins are seriously because those who do these things, it says it twice in the verse, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it does matter. These verses do matter. So I was going to, Karen and I were flying somewhere, and I went to BWI Airport, and we got there, and I had my tennis bag with me, and I had my suitcase. I think I was speaking somewhere, and who, where I was going, I was going to be able to play tennis, so I had my tennis bag with me. And so I'm going to BWI Airport, and, you know, we park. You know, you, you know they have you park in Pennsylvania, and then you take the shuttle back into, into uh, you know, into the terminal there. And I'm going through the, the checkup, you know, where, the, where they check your luggage and all that. And they pulled my tennis bag off. They pulled my tennis bag off. I thought, what the world, you know? My tennis, I'm nothing bad in my tennis bag. And they reached in there and they found that I had a pen knife in there. And it was my granddad's pen knife. I had it in my tennis bag because when I changed the, the, the grip on my tennis uh, brackets, I would use the pen knife to cut the, the tape off. And, and they said, the lady held up, you got a pen knife in you. And, and here's, I don't know why I did this. It was the stupidest thing in the world. I instinctively grabbed my knife back. I said, I can't believe that. And boy, that brought a lot of attention, a lot of people coming over. <laughs> and she said, she said, uh, you ain't get on that airplane with that pen knife. I said, I told her the whole tearful story that my grandfather gave this to me and that I used to sit on the steps and whittle sticks with him when I was a little boy. She cared nothing about that. She said, if you want your penknife, it'll cost you $25. We'll mail it back home for you. So $25 for my granddad's penknife, which probably cost more than he paid for it when he got it. But anyhow, she said, you're not getting on that airplane with that penknife. And when you think about these, these words in this text... The Lord is saying, if you persist in these things, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. You know, we hear all about love and forgiveness in the gospel, but the love, the, we know one of the words we never preach on that's prolific in the New Testament is the word repentance. We need to repent of our sins. We need to turn our back on our sins, and we need to embrace Christ and follow him, and we cannot persist in these things. There is no such thing. If you have listened to, you know, modern preaching and all that, and you've come to the conclusion that God loves everybody, and everybody's going to get to heaven, I can tell you, you can believe that all you want, and that's fine. You in America, you can believe whatever you want to, but I can tell you as a person that studied the Bible all my life that that is not in the New Testament. We have to repent of our sins. Paul said those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you read the list. Here's an interesting thing about the list. Greed is on here. Greed, obsessive materialism, that we would be, our lives would be defined primarily about making money as our primary thing. Do you realize that that is as grievous in God's sight as homosexuality or sexual sin? It's in the list. So that's an interesting thing. Third thing. Third thing about that is Paul says, don't be deceived about this. Now that's what, it, when I was reading that this week, 
Do you not know the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived or led astray by this. And then he lists all these things. And here's what's happening in our culture. In our culture, we are being deceived, saying there's nothing wrong with all these things. Paul said specifically, do not be deceived about these things. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you do these things. If you, persist, if you resign your life to these things, do not be deceived. And then he said, and such... For some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been set apart, sanctified by God. You are called by God. You're clean of all your sins. Do you know in the early church there were uh, there were uh, people that had been gay that were converted. There were people that had lived in sexual immorality and been converted. And Paul lived in a world that was marked by. Marked by perversion and promiscuity. The headlines, the headlines while he was writing this letter, the headlines in the local newspapers was Nero marries a young boy named Sporus. That was the headlines. And 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were either uh, gay or bisexual. So the world he lived in was the same world that we live in, a world of perversion. And Paul did not take the position that he would avoid that. He said, if you do these things, persist in them, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when I read this text, that's why I would probably never choose to preach on this, but you come through Corinthians and you get in there, there you are face-to-face with the Scripture, what the Scripture says. Now, when I was on the way here this morning, I came down uh, 13, uh, 113, and I got to where Royal Farms is, and I turned to go through Dagsboro. And when I got off the highway, there was a state policeman that pulled in behind me. And he was pulled in behind me. And, you know, you know, and then he followed me through Dagsboro. And when I got to Dagsboro, Route 20, where I turned to come here, he turned too, and he's behind me. You would not believe how my driving improved from here <laughs> I mean, have you never noticed how good you drive after a policeman's behind? That guy followed me all the way. I mean, all the way here. And I'm like, I'm like I, went to, I went under the speed limit. I'd, I've never driven that well. My hands were at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. I was doing everything perfectly. And I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, what the world would that man go away? And finally, when I got out of here to Route 54, I thought he was going to follow me right to church, follow me right in the door. But he... Uh, He turned the other way, thank the Lord. (laughs) There's something about knowing that you're accountable that changes the way you live. There's something about knowing that you're accountable to a holy, wonderful God that's a God of love and righteousness. There's something that changes how you live when Paul says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's something about knowing that, that we live under a holy, wonderful God that has given his son for our sins, that we could be absolutely, completely washed of all of our filth and all of our sins. How many know that there is nothing, there's nothing that we've done, there's no perversion, there's no darkness, there's nothing so dirty, so wicked that the blood of Jesus cannot completely cleanse completely out of our hearts and give us freedom and liberty from it. Can you say a big amen? Amen. It says in Isaiah, Come, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. 
Though your sins be of scarlet, they will be white as snow. How many have had your sins forgiven? He's cleansed you of some bad stuff. Bad stuff. And maybe you're growing in the faith. Maybe you stumble. But it says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when you stumble, you get back on track and you say, Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to help me. I'm going to get in my small group. I'm going to be faithful coming to church and you're going to change me. You're going to help me. I may stumble again, but I'm not resigning that kind of lifestyle because I have been washed and sanctified and set apart for you and your kingdom. So that is... Uh, a great, a great thing. How many are glad that the blood of Jesus and the grace of God, as you turn in repentance toward that, is all sufficient to take care of all of your needs? Would you just say a big amen? Lift your hands up right now. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. Let the Holy Spirit minister. We're, we're living in, in crazy, crazy times. And God is calling the church to be different. God's calling the church to look differently at the world. We thank you, Lord, that you're Lord of our life, that you created man in a certain way. You created us in your image. You made us to reflect the glory of the Lord. We're part of the new creation. We're part of you restoring how life is supposed to be on this planet. We're not supposed to look and live like people in this system, in this world system. Where we're supposed to look differently and live differently. And Father God, you are by your Holy Spirit. You're making us a new creation in the midst of a fallen world. And they're noticing that we're different people because of the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your love and for your mercy and your grace. And just say this with me, Lord God, I thank you that you've chosen me, you've called me, you set me apart from a crazy world to live a life that reflects your glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.